0: country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. You're all originals. You've all made America better, a better place, and you've made it seem a better place in the eyes of the people of the world. I'm Ian Wilder. I'm Fiona Hatch. I'm Sarah Nels. I'm Tyler Katzenberger. And I'm Allison Keeley.
1: You're listening to 1050 Bascom, a podcast brought to you by the UW-Madison Political Science Department. On this episode of 1050 Basket, we're happy to welcome Jim Gingras, a PhD student here in the Department of Political Science. A retired Air Force lieutenant colonel and military diplomat, Jim is particularly interested in civil-military relations and methods that may improve U.S. and international security policy. In his time in the Air Force, Jim commanded a squadron and installation in Turkey, as well as the U.S. Assistant Air Attaché at the U.S. Embassy in London. He also led combat missions in Afghanistan and Iraq. Jim was also an instructor at both the French Air Force and the US Air Force Academies prior to coming to UW-Madison. Jim, thanks so
0: much for joining us today. Let's jump right into it. Yeah, so let's start with your academic and professional background. What led you to pursue a mechanical engineering degree in the Air Force? And can you walk us through the path that sent you all over the world and has now brought you back here to Madison, Wisconsin?
2: Sure. It's a great question. Um, So back to little Jimmy, um, when I was growing up, I lived in Oshkosh, went to the EAA, saw the cool jets, and was like, oh my gosh, that looks really fun. I want to do something like that. But then I did more research and realized, you know what? It's a lot more than that. It's about a sense of service, service to the country, um, this this idea of uh, comrades in arms and being able to to be with the person on your left and right uh, and trust them with your life no matter what. Um, that was the appealing idea the, the idea of service and service to the nation is what drew me to the Air Force Academy, which uh, focuses its education predominantly on the sciences. And so uh, everyone who graduates from there graduates a Bachelor of Science, uh, even history degrees. I decided that I liked machines. I liked stuff to build stuff. And so I chose mechanical engineering as the most um, aligned with what I thought was my uh, desire to be a professional. Uh, but then i did an internship and uh got to work with an aerospace company they let me uh, design the mechanical harness for the black box that is flying on the international space station so got a chance to to do some real engineering in in a lab uh, design testing fabrication all of the fun stuff and i didn't like it i didn't want to be an engineer in that sense so the air force gave me an opportunity later uh to go be a civil engineer uh, which meant that I would be responsible to build, maintain, and protect bases, infrastructure all over the world. And I said, I can do that anywhere, and I get to lead airmen and be a part of these really great organizations. That's what I want to do. So I chose to be use my engineering degree to become a civil engineer in the Air Force. And then uh, that led me on a path all over the world, uh, 16 years overseas. But on my first deployment, uh, I was leading a small team of, of Air Force civil engineers, where we were going from base to base in Central Asia, and I'd have to talk to the base commander, whatever base, whatever nation it was, and say, hey, I want to do a survey of your base. And they said, okay, sure, you're Americans? Yeah, go ahead, no problem. Uh, and that was fine until we got to Pakistan. And then in Pakistan, I realized, okay, um, you know, maybe I have to do something different, because when I asked the base commander, can I do this, his response was, hmm, no, you can't. you're flying our jets doing you know stuff with our equipment why don't you want me to survey your He's like no i'm not interested uh and i said okay wait i have to reset here so decided uh that you know maybe we have to have more of a relationship before i can ask a professional question so we i I rephrased it well maybe we can have some tea so we had some tea then we had some more tea then we had some more tea and after a whole bunch of tea uh, we got to the point where we knew each other it was a relationship that was Based on mutual understanding and respect, and even though he was much older, much more senior than I was um, as a young officer, um, I asked again at that point, do you think there's any way we can find a win-win to, to maybe do something together to, to make this survey happen? He's like, you know what? Yes, I think we can do that, Jim. And so at that moment, that was my, my pivotal epiphany where I realized, you know what, this is an interaction that is diplomacy, that is military diplomacy, and this is something we don't do well enough. So I said, all right, engineering is great. I love uh, doing what I'm doing with the Civil engineer Corps, but I want to do this as a professional. So I want to be a military diplomat. And that was the moment where I'm like, all right, I'm going to go shape the rest of my career and changed from being an engineer to get a master's degree in international relations, and then uh, was fortunate to go have some other experience and eventually selected to be uh, officially a military diplomat, uh, culminating with uh, three assignments to, to U.S. embassies in, in Europe. So there we are. That was my path.
0: Wow, that is so fascinating. I love the the combination of those those two passions. It's so interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about your
1: time uh, in Europe, specifically maybe in Turkey?
2: Sure, absolutely. Turkey was fascinating. Uh, so we were there, and um, there was a small U.S. installation that's embedded within a larger Turkish installation. And so my job there uh, was to support the the U.S. and allied communities that were using our installation. And I had to both manage the relationship in the base with the Americans, as well as our Turkish hosts and and maintain a good relationship with the Turkish base commander, as well as supporting the U.S. embassy, because uh, on my base, I had a school and that DOD run school was pivotal because if the uh, school closed, the U.S. embassy would have no viable education source for all of the other American diplomat children. And so... Uh, It was a delicate balance of trying to weigh the importance of the military security, military partnership and alliance, as well as the intergovernmental interagency work with the U.S. Department of State. Um, So it was fascinating. And I loved uh, employing all the diplomatic skills to to be able to make things run as smoothly as possible. Of course, problems come up. Of course, issues happen. But it's all about how to, to resolve them. And that goes back to that fundamental idea of every relationship is super important. And having those positive relationships makes almost anything possible. So it was there that we also had uh, the COVID-19 pandemic breakout. And so the response from the country of Turkey, much different than the U.S. And uh, we had to navigate where everything shut down. It wasn't just like, let's just not go out. Everyone shut down. Anyone under the age of 20 or over the age of 65 was confined to their house. And therefore, my kids who were in uh, school at the time, as well as my wife, could not leave the house for three months, and so we had a, a beautiful apartment overlooking the city, the city of Ankara in the center of Turkey. Beautiful city, lots of great things to do. But when you're sitting in a glass apartment overlooking the city on the 17th floor, you can't leave. It becomes much more like Rapunzel's tower. So it was a bit of a challenge to to have uh, all of these things going on at the same time, trying to manage these relationships as well as having the family and the school in a very difficult position. But fortunately, we got to a point where the uh, school was able to open back up, sort of uh, find a solution, and the, the country relaxed the standards a little bit, and then my family was able to leave and uh, came back to the U.S. But the, the overall experience of Turkey was amazing. The Turks are phenomenal people, great food, great relationships, um, highly recommended. In fact, it's really underrated uh, in the U.S.
0: And then channeling back into that time, but also now looking back in retrospect, Um, I'd like to ask your thoughts about the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq while you were serving on the front lines. Could you compare those thoughts to us, you know, what you were thinking then and what you're thinking now, or if you have any thoughts now that hadn't occurred to you then, of course?
2: Absolutely. And and honestly, um, it's on the forefront of my mind on a daily basis because my entire career, the arc of my career, uh, was spent on one side and the other of this war in Afghanistan. So I was a young lieutenant uh, commissioned in 2001, Uh, I was sitting at an airport uh, waiting to take my first flight uh, when the attack happened on September eleventh. And so at that point, the world turned upside down and everything changed. And the entire arc of my career was then defined by going to Afghanistan, I went twice, uh, Iraq once, and uh, the wars were horrible. Uh, War itself is is horrible. I, I can't stress that enough. It's the the worst possible nightmare you can imagine. Uh, and at the same time, there are things worth fighting for. So I, I, I don't want anyone to have to experience it, but at the moment it's still required. And in my time there, uh, I was fortunate in my second tour in Afghanistan to be able to affect some real positive change because we were on a team uh, doing infrastructure construction work. I was part of a provincial reconstruction team. I was the chief of development, uh, leading all the engineering work for building roads, schools, bridges, hospitals, Uh, all the important things to connect about six and a half million Afghans with their government. And our goal there was not to do that on behalf of the U.S. government, although we were managing U.S. government funds. Our goal was to connect the Afghan people to the Afghan government, to help them understand that if the government works and works effectively, they can see real results. Uh, Now, in this case, we were helping mentor the government to be able to make this work effectively. Uh, And we had mixed success, as, as you'd expect. But... At the same time, uh, we can look back and I can look at Google Maps and see, all right, yeah, we did some things. That's still there. That's still working. That's still helping the people. And so while we uh, had immense battlefield victory when we were having to fight, we also had this uh, huge benefit of changing the infrastructure and the development of the country. And then, unfortunately, uh, when Afghanistan fell, uh, a lot of that positive governance fell. But also, I believe we planted the seeds to help, in the long term, the Afghan people rise up again and fight against the Taliban or the Islamic State, uh, who in fact in Afghanistan is even worse than the Taliban. And so I believe that the the people who are still in Afghanistan will find a way to come back, claw their country away from uh, maniacal control, and be able to, to use these lessons that 20 years of Western power and Western influence have really helped lay the foundation, lay the groundwork for. At the same time, um, I'm also helping Afghans who were there with us and working directly for us. In fact, I got great news uh, last night, um, the third and final Afghan who I was uh, sponsoring, who was working on our team when I was there, working on for a year with us, um, he was finally able to escape Afghanistan and just arrived in South Carolina yesterday. So incredibly grateful to have um, the three guys that I worked with personally and and personally sponsored to come out on an immigrant visa. Um, they have now finally all gotten there. And the first one got here in 2016. and He has now become an American citizen. So wow. I can tell you that uh, Afghanistan, while it is a, a strategic loss, I believe that we are still in a place where we've made the world just a little bit better. And I, and I strongly believe that Afghanistan will find its path again and go back to its vibrant culture that could be, that I saw the roots, that I saw the, the, the beginning of. Um, I think it will continue to grow uh, once they can find a way to extricate themselves from the Taliban. So circling back to Iraq, um, I spent uh, a deployment there. Uh, my experience in Afghanistan was different in that I was out amongst the people every day, doing and building projects. My experience in, Afgan- in Iraq, rather, was uh, I was responsible for the infrastructure of a base. So I was kind of like your city manager, where I man- maintained um, the water, sewer, power, uh, emergency response, uh, all of the things that make the base like a little city run. That was my job, and so. There it was more of a challenge because we were getting um, indirect fire, meaning rockets and mortars coming across uh, multiple times a week. Um, in my time there, we, we lost uh, 26 people on the base uh, killed uh, from this indirect fire. And so uh, my team, I would be responsible for, for maintaining uh, the command and control of our forces that would go out after an attack to go out and assess and make sure that everything was safe and secure. And so our job there was to to do that and then provide emergency first aid response to people who were injured or unfortunately killed and so that was a really hard thing where um, i felt powerless because yes we were able to, to fire back and yes we were able to go back uh, but it wasn't me or my team we were just we were playing defense the whole time uh and the, the iraqis that i worked with uh, were also great you know i love the afghans i love the iraqis um their their role uh, was a little bit different as well because. Um, in, in that area, we had a uh, unique cultural experience where it's in Kirkuk. So you have the Kurdish population there, as well as the Iraqi, the, the more Arab population with the Iraqis. And that uh, interaction was also really interesting. Um, but I also see that what happened in Iraq was much more um, pronounced because of the way that we set it up. And I feel like uh, the governance, governance structure that we set up in 2003-2004 um, that led Iraq down a very bad path. And I'm not sure they're back from it yet, quite honestly. Uh, and so my, my hope for Iraq is a little bit more he- hesitant, reticent than can it you is. You more content. about the past? Sure. So uh, <laughs> to, to speak frankly, um, I, I feel like, uh, now again, looking back at this in hindsight is one thing. So I can, I can armchair quarterback this and say, we made a wrong decision. But when I lived it, I, I knew it at that point too. And it was only a couple years after the uh, decision was made. Uh, the administrator uh, L. Paul Bremer decided to uh, basically dismantle the entire government um, and that meant that they couldn't because they they excluded all the Baptists, all the people who had been a part of the government before they couldn't go back to the government that put them in a really bad position and they couldn't run the government effectively and that challenge came to us in the form of insecure environment came to us in the form of violence and, and war um, because we didn't let them have their own personal governance and uh offer a compromise solution we said no everyone out and we're gonna take a whole new group in that's fine but then you have people who don't know what they're doing and then the government the economy basically stops and so when i was there they're executing less than one percent of their budget uh, effectively wow okay that's so really interesting. yeah it was um it was a totally different experience um you know the the iraqi people um they i believe are going to have they've got a tough road because they've got a really difficult existential question um, with the Kurdish population in the north, um, and that you know covers four different countries, and uh, there's no easy solution there. Well,
1: circling back to um, your education a little bit more, sure. I know we kind of touched on why you wanted to pursue a doctorate, but is there anything else you want to share about what drove you to pursue your doctorate, and specifically at UW?
2: Absolutely. Um, I think two big things uh, drove me to this this path. Uh, first and, and foremost is I love teaching. Uh, I love my experience at both the French and U.S. Air Force Academies, and teaching undergrads uh, is amazing. Um, the The complexity of knowledge, the curiosity, uh, the passion that I see is just infectious, and so being around that is incredibly inspiring. So I want to do that more, and uh, I chose UW because both my wife and I are from here. In fact, I went to elementary school here in Madison, graduated high school outside of Milwaukee, and I am... Uh, as much as I may have wanted to ignore this for a few years, I'm Wisconsinite through and through. And so this is home. Um, this is where I need to be and be here with my kids who are now in middle school. I want them to have the roots with family. I want them to have a connection with their grandparents who are still in good health. Um, I want this experience to be the you know the second half of their, their childhood, the first half they spent going all over the world. And both my kids were born in France. They lived all different countries, and they didn't live in the U.S., uh, for any permanent length until we moved to Colorado for my final assignment. And when people would ask them where they're from, they would say Wisconsin. So we decided, you know what, kind to make this official, let's go back to Wisconsin. So when the opportunity presented itself, uh, I chose Wisconsin.
0: So interesting how both those experiences have informed your path to UW and to your research. Focusing on your research, your interest includes civil-military relations and polarization in the U.S. today. Um, can you outline some of those aspects of your research agenda for us?
2: Sure, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm only a second-year PhD student, so I've got a, a little ways to go still, but um, I've taught civil military relations, uh, both at Air Force and, and here at UW, and I am passionate about the U.S. populace understanding um, what it means. And when I say civil military relations, that's a, that's a triad. I think of it like a triangle where you have the government, the people, and the military, and the relationship between all three of those. And so when any one of those legs breaks down, there becomes an existential crisis, a constitutional crisis for the United States. And I feel like a lack of education is a large part of where the challenge is today. And that's simply because uh, with an all-volunteer force, we're in the 51st year of an all-volunteer force. So we have one of the lowest, if not the lowest percentage of the population that is a veteran, and the same thing in the uh, Congress. So you have legislators, the fewest number of legislators, one of the fewest numbers, to have ever served in the military, now governing and creating laws—not that it's required by any means—but I believe that when there is not an understanding, a gap can exist because these worlds are so different that if you don't understand that one for the other, then you can create um, fissures in the both governance and population that can make things more challenging. And because we are such a dependent, we are so dependent on our global network that includes our military in large part, because we execute our foreign policy in large part with the military. If we don't understand how we're using that military and how to use it effectively and not go to war unless it's absolutely necessary i believe that can be a problem for our country so i'd like to help fix that by doing things like understanding the veteran population in wisconsin for example because i believe we have 330,000 veterans in the state of wisconsin so that's a huge number but unfortunately those are uh, a lot of older veterans and they are dying off um, sadly too quickly and so, right now, we're at a point where we're seeing even fewer numbers of people understanding these these two, well, these three worlds um, through the lens of civil military relations. And so, my job is really to help understand it uh, and then offer maybe some policy solutions for how we can do it better.
0: Can I just ask a fun question? We don't have to include this if you don't want to. Sure. If you had, like, if you could do any, like, one or two policy changes in that realm, what would you do?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um,
0: I know there's a lot, so a, there's a ton. <laughs> it's a big question.
2: Uh, the, the thing that I'd, I'd love to uh, talk about is the, the, the Veterans Memorial um, Park.
0: Okay, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, yeah, why don't you tell us about, <laughs> tell us about the park? Um, and is that the, the Camp Randall? Okay, yeah. So why don't you tell us about the Camp Randall Military and Veteran Project?
2: Absolutely. Well, the only way to really understand it is to go through a little bit of history. So as much as I love political science, I also love history. (laughs) And uh, Camp Randall is the most historic military site, I would argue, in the state of Wisconsin. And why is it important? Well, we go back to 1861, and you have uh, a United States that doesn't really have a standing army. And because of that, President Lincoln said, all right, every state, you need to contribute some soldiers. And so uh, Governor Alexander Randall, uh, named after Camp Randall, who was the governor of Wisconsin at the time, he made a call and said, hey, I would love to have uh, some Wisconsin troops. Um, And so many people volunteered. And and they took the state fairgrounds at the time and made that a training site. So uh, on that site, that became Camp Randall, a huge, vibrant military city in the middle of Madison, uh, used for the Civil War, including used as a prisoner of war camp for Confederate soldiers, many of whom unfortunately perished because of uh, health issues. Um, they, uh, The veterans who came in and out of this park, um, this one site hosted 70,000 Wisconsin veterans um, into and out of military service in the Civil War. Now, after the war was over, uh, it demobilized, it went back to being a state fair park, uh, and then the state fair moved to Milwaukee but it was still there and being developed and piece by piece um, sold off to private owners. Well, at the end of the 19th century, some of the Civil War veterans said, no, 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 we need to commemorate our war experience. And so they convinced the state legislature to purchase a partial parcel. And that parcel was then given to the University of Wisconsin-Madison to operate in perpetuity as a Veterans Memorial Park. Well, at the same time, the UW Athletics Department was building its very first stadium uh, for American football. And uh, so you have these two different things. You have the athletics and the uh, military folks being at the same site um, and in parallel being venerated. Well, 1912 is when the stone arch uh, that was built that commemorates uh, veterans is is in Camp Randall Park. Uh, And that Camp Randall Veterans Memorial Park um, is designated specifically for veterans affairs. Well, now fast forward to the first and then second world war, and you have this surge of uh, veterans after the war coming back to get education to learn about academics, to, to pursue their higher education. Well, unfortunately, with the surge in, after the Second World War, was 10,000 student veterans, there was not housing. Much like today, we have challenges with student housing. Well, even worse then. And so we had to build a housing camp, effectively, right next to Camp Randall Stadium. And so we built this space for student veterans. Again, putting those two together, the athletics and the military, together on the same sites, because there's so much synergy and, and, and positive momentum together. Well, after that surge died down in the 1950s, uh, the UW decided to instead uh, build on that site the Camp Randall Sports Complex, known as the Shell. That Camp Randall Sports Complex, unfortunately, had to take away some of the land for the Veterans Memorial Park. Unfortunate because it was over the objection of veterans, but um, that's what happened with the university. Fast forward to the 1980s, the McLean Center indoor training facility, same thing, uh, built uh, adjacent to the Veterans Memorial Park and had to take away some of the space, including make this triangle in the front of the uh, stadium. Uh, That is actually the Veterans Memorial Park as well. Now, fast forward that to today. Uh, So this last summer, um, the Wisconsin legislature approved a $285 million project for the UW Athletic Department to build a full-size indoor training facility, taking down both the Shell and the McLean Center. Uh, In that $285 million uh, facility, there's going to be a whole bunch of really important things for the athletic department and uh, for Madison in general. But uh, there's going to be a need for some of this Veterans Memorial space. Now, my point here is not to get into a fight because I don't think that's appropriate. We we have so much shared history. Let's bring us together. Let's find a win-win solution. And so uh, what my proposal is that we could take part of this Veterans Memorial Park, let the athletic department use what they need to use, but then... As a as a compensation as a, as an equity, we could then build a veteran space, so a veteran and military connected student space, because there are two thousand students at UW Madison who are military military connected or veterans, and right now there is nothing there is nothing for them in permanence, and all of the groups are spread out across campus. You have ROTC detachments from one side together. You have the University Veteran Services in one place. You have the Student Veteran Lounge, which is an ad hoc, once-a-year thing that is not a guarantee. And so there's no place for community to be built. And ironically, the UW's uh, academic research has proven that uh, Ross Benbow uh, has proven that this uh, indicator for student veterans, the number one indicator for student veterans of their success is having a space dedicated to them to build community. So what my proposal is to take this uh, opportunity with this huge project and maybe set a little bit of funds aside to build a small space, a community space, for the student, veterans, military-connected, and at the same time, make this an open-air museum. Because right now, no one knows the significance of Camp Randall Veteran Memorial, or Camp Randall in general. Because of that, let's do something better. Let's do an actual open-air museum. That way, all veterans can have a place to go and celebrate and all Wisconsinites, all people coming through it, will be able to see just how important and historic this site is, both then and now. And finally, put in a wall of heroes. You have those who are venerated on the field of battle and those who are venerated on the field of athletic strife. Let's put those together, those two groups of veterans and student athletes, uh, or maybe alumni, and have that ability to to venerate them in a place that's meaningful and impactful. So uh, I have proposed this to the chancellor uh, to legislators, um, to you know, the Secretary of the Veterans Affairs at the U.S. level. Um, and, and everyone's said oh, it sounds like a great idea. And, well, unfortunately, the, the chancellor has not gotten back to me on this. I'm still waiting for a response to my letter. But um, there is an opportunity here for us to do something really meaningful and impactful that will last for generations. Like, this is in perpetuity because it will have such a huge impact, not only for the athletics, but also for the veteran population. So that's the project that I'm, I'm proposing.
1: Yeah, and do you think that students on campus understand just – how many folks are here that are, um, you know, at least military or have like been impacted by the military or connected to it in some way, shape, or form?
2: I don't. I don't think that because the, the, there's no real large military presence in the state of Wisconsin, uh, there isn't that sort of understanding fundamentally of what it's like to be in the military, to connect to the military, know the military, have a connection in some way to the military. And so um, in teaching the couple undergraduate classes I've had the opportunity to, to be a part of, Um, that's the one recurring theme is that, yes, some know, and some have history and some have uh, a legacy, but a lot more do not. And so having opportunities like this project at Camp Randall Veterans Memorial Park to build something that would then be a monument would help others understand. And it goes back to my central research question, which is that civil-military gap and understanding civil-military relations better. Um, This would be one step to to help us do that. And so I believe if you want to invest in one thing, um, that would be the thing I would invest in.
1: So you're asking the university to fund
2: it? I'm asking anyone to fund it. Um, so the- yeah, I, I was thinking you could find donors. The, yeah. I'd love to do a public-private partnership. And so at the US Air Force Academy that we did to renovate the, the chapel there, um, here we have the opportunity uh, with the state, the university, public um, and private donors to, to be able to raise funds to do this. Uh, I even believe it would be a, a useful extension of the Wisconsin Veterans Memorial Museum which is right downtown by the Capitol. It's a great museum, phenomenal. I'm a guide there as well. I volunteer at the museum. And so uh, I think that they have a phenomenal space, but they can only put out 2% of their uh, collection because they don't have a space that's dedicated to them. Fortunately, the legislature just approved their ability to buy the museum, building that they're in right now, and then eventually uh, take it down and rebuild it in a way that's useful and meaningful. At the same time, we could, again, we go back to this annex of an open-air museum at Camp Randall. We could then have an even better opportunity. We have the Veterans Museum main building and the annex at Camp Randall.
0: Um, And so you mentioned the Wisconsin Veterans Museum. Can you go a little uh, deeper in your work with them and also just more information about the museum?
2: Sure, absolutely. It's It's a phenomenal thing. They've been in this is a former department store, uh, and they've been in the site for decades. And the uh, museum takes uh, visitors. It's a free museum, so anyone go into free. It's right next to the Capitol, great location. And uh, it takes uh, visitors from the Civil War all the way through the 21st century. And so there are displays through the whole thing. Um, I lead school groups uh, that come in uh, anywhere from uh, elementary school all the way up through college. Uh, and so if anyone's interested, be happy to, uh, to offer a personal tour for people who are interested in going, but it takes the story of Wisconsin veterans uh, from the very beginning of the first uh, wars when Wisconsin was a state all the way through the modern era. And uh, it really does a great job of, of showing all the, the horribleness of, of war because you can see things like uh, the, the flag staff for carrying the American flag into the battle in the Battle of Antietam uh, in the Civil War. Well, that is riddled full of bullet holes right at the height of where the human behind it was holding, um, showing just how many people died carrying that one flag because it is such an important symbolic representation. So there's horrible things uh, like the, the signs of death, but at the same time, there's the greatness of the human spirit. There's the greatness of Wisconsinites, um, who, you know, a number of ha- whom have, have earned the Medal of Honor. Uh, one of those was a graduate from the U.S. Air Force Academy, my alma mater, a guy named Lance Scijong, um, who is from Milwaukee. And he was shot down over Vietnam in the Vietnam. Sorry, shot down over Vietnam uh, in the war, and uh, horribly damaged uh, plane couldn't recover, and ejected. Was then himself horribly injured, uh, survived, evaded, uh, captured by the North Vietnamese, escaped, captured, escaped again. And his story of stoicism and resistance to interrogation and torture is the stuff of legends. So he was uh, unfortunately. He succumbed to his wounds, but he was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor.
1: And in your view, what does the U.S. do well in serving veterans, and maybe what could the U.S. be doing a little bit better?
2: Absolutely, that's a great question. Um, I can tell you, having served overseas and been to a whole lot of other countries, no other country in the world supports their military like we support our military. Both in service and out. Yes. I was just going to ask for just to put it in context. Can you just give us some data on how many veterans there are, especially coming from more recent wars? Sure. Um, so we're on active duty. We're about 1.2 to 1.3 million uh, active duty members, and uh, the population is right around 7% uh, of the population is about is veteran um, is a veteran. So it's a small number, and uh, the support for the military through funding, through programs, through um, just, you know, saying, hey, thank you for the service. That's that's a small but meaningful gesture. But at the same time, it, there's so much more that's needed, right? Um, and these other countries, they don't come close to us. But at the same time, I feel like we could do better in the U.S. And I can say that my experience with the Veterans Affairs Department, because once you leave the military, you become a veteran, then it's the Department of Veterans Affairs that is there to take care of you. And my experience has been very positive. Uh, in fact, uh, I, was, I was fortunate to have a meeting with the, the secretary, Secretary McDonough, and uh, he is passionate about his job of taking care of veterans he is not himself a veteran again representative of this lack of senior leaders who have that military experience but at the same time he's incredibly understanding and incredibly supportive of the veteran community and doing all he can to make things better and i believe the veterans affairs uh in general has gotten so much better in the recent years because of failures unfortunately over the past uh, two three four decades um, you know, coming out of Vietnam and the the low that existed of supporting the military in the nineteen seventies, we ended the draft in nineteen seventy three, and then through the seventies we were building up, uh, learning what it means to have an all volunteer force, and starting to to respect the military and and, and regain the prestige that uh, the military had fought so hard to earn previously, and then through the eighties and into the nineties, uh, that's when things really took off, and so. At this time, I believe that we can do more for for helping with um, veteran homelessness, veteran mental health, because mental health is a major challenge. I I can tell you having struggled with it myself, um, that war is hard. It's a horrible thing. I wish it on no one, but we need to take care of those who have served and who have been willing to put it on the line and then as a result are injured. But at the same time, I don't want everyone to think that all veterans are damaged and everyone comes out of this experience as a lesser person. I disagree. I think it's in fact a strengthening experience. I think military service tends to enhance uh, one's life and it offers amazing educational benefits. And this is one thing I think Wisconsin does really well, by offering the Wisconsin GI Bill. It's a supplemental program that in addition to the US GI Bill, which is incredibly generous to start with, the Wisconsin GI Bill offers a similar benefit uh, if that uh, US GI Bill is no longer available. So it's something I think that's incredibly uh, generous, and uh, I believe that Wisconsin is doing really well to support veterans. But there are more things that could happen. Uh, for example, there are some bills in the, the U.S. Uh, sorry, the Wisconsin uh, legislature to help uh, veterans with uh, property tax credits, um, to help veterans uh, come back, uh, basically to, to provide better support and service to them, uh, and as well as things like this uh, Veterans the Park and this, in fact, a, an amendment that just came in that I believe is misguided because it's taking uh, the veteran space away from veterans and away from the uh, body that's meant to oversee the veteran community. Uh, it has been proposed to remove them from managing that Camp Randall Veterans Memorial Park uh, that I was talking about was so important. Well, the legislature is unfortunately looking at taking that away from the veterans uh, group itself.
1: Who proposed that amendment?
2: Great question, I don't know, it just happened today. So, um, Or I just saw it today, rather. So it was the 5th of uh, february i believe is when the amendment happened
0: wow so then looking forward i know you said you enjoyed teaching um what are your plans for the future when you're done at uw
2: great question i first of all my kids you know i told you about how they moved around all the time my wife and i moved 13 times in our 21 years in the military uh that's a lot of moving so we moved here and i told my kids all right if you don't want to move to school districts you don't have to so uh, we're going, we're in the Middleton School, Middleton Cross Plains School District, and we are going to be there until my daughter uh, graduates with the class of twenty thirty. So between now and twenty thirty, I intend to to finish my PhD in a couple of years, and then uh, use that PhD for something relevant. I would love to keep teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, teaching at UW is is a dream. I would, if that's an opportunity, I would love to do that again because teaching at the undergrad level is my happy place um, because the undergrads are so amazing. And uh, I would also like to get back into the policy world. Um, so serving. As a, as a senior official in either the state or federal level, um, obviously until twenty thirty would be at the state level. So if there's an opportunity there where I can help affect uh, policy for for the community I love, uh, all of Wisconsin, uh, particularly the veteran community, I would be happy to do that. Um, so whether that's with the Department of Veterans Affairs or something else, I'd be more than willing to do it. And then after twenty thirty, once uh, the kids are off in, in college, um, you know, we'll relook at things. And if it's right, I uh, would love to get back into government service as a senior official in uh, either the the DOD or DOS, uh, Department of Defense or Department of State, or another another senior role, um, I would be honored to to help in that way. But at the same time, we are from Wisconsin, we will always have roots in Wisconsin, and um, teaching Wisconsin and uh, helping shape veteran policy are three things that I'll be passionate about from here until the day I die. Is there
1: anything else that we haven't talked about today that you'd like to discuss?
2: No, I think we've covered pretty well.
1: Okay. In that case, we get to move on to the fun questions. So we always like to end our podcast on a nice light note. Uh, so you've been in Madison for a couple of years now, and we know that you have a young family. Um, what are some of the fav- your favorite places to go and things to do with your
2: family? Yeah, we love being outside. Um, so we have um, enjoyed being on the water. Uh, we have enjoyed uh well, I personally enjoyed biking because biking is one of the things I, I bike uh, to and from from school. Um, and then camping has been a passion as well. So we were in Colorado camping and then moved back to Wisconsin. And we found that uh, Wisconsin camping, as much as we thought Wisconsin would be maybe a little bit uh, less fun than Colorado say, but uh, in fact, it has been amazing. So we've camped out at a number of the state parks in the area and uh, really enjoyed doing that as a family. So lots of s'mores, lots of campfires and uh, it's been it's been a great time with the family.
0: Do you have a favorite state park?
2: Um, so we just bought uh, a couple homes up in Wausau and so Rib Mountain State Park um, is, is right by there mm-hmm. and there's an amazing network of, of trails mountain biking as well as the biggest ski hill in Wisconsin at Granite Peak uh, right there so I'd say that's definitely one of them or Governor Dodge State Park uh, just to the west is a great one as in Devil's Lake uh, State Park is of course the number one uh, state park in the state of Wisconsin.
0: All good choices. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a really great discussion. We're so glad to have you on.
2: Awesome. Thank you for hosting. I really appreciate being here.